0: Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garippa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. All right, we have been in the first two chapters of Joshua, Joshua chapters one and two. And so we've been studying Joshua chapters 1 and 2. This great picture now of God turning the Jewish people over, the 3 million-plus Jews now, as they've spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, now standing on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to go into Cana. And as they prepare to do that, they will have to go through Jericho. And we studied how Joshua sent out two spies to see exactly what, what they would, would find. And they ran into Rahab, the prostitute, and Rahab took care and brought them into her house and hid them so that they could get back and report exactly what what they saw and how, in fact, Rahab really came to faith, how God used this appointment in time to bring the message of hope to Rahab uh, and how Rahab and her house will be saved. And so I wanted to drill down this week back into those two chapters and talk about what I what I consider to be uh, application principles that you can take from this first two chapters. And one of the first things that I want to uh, focus on is the fact that uh, Joshua, knowing that God had anointed him and God had told him he would be with him and would protect him, that Joshua still felt the need to send out to spies. And so the question becomes, well, if you are in God's way, if God is saying that he's anointing you, why do you still have to go out and exercise some human element in terms of completing God's will? And I think that's a good question because some people will say, well, if this is God's, I'm just going to sit here in this chair and God will take care of everything. Okay, God will take care of everything. I have complete and total faith in God. I don't have to raise uh, my hand in any way. And I'm going to tell you that if you say that, you're violating God's will. Because God gave you an intellect. God gave you talents. God gave you gifts. And God expects you to use your talents and your gifts to advance his work. Now, we don't decide ahead of time that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We wait first on God, have God speak to our hearts and tell us what he wants, open the doors that he wants, closes the doors that he wants. But then after that, God expects us to use our resources. And as a wise military leader, Joshua knew that he needed to get the lay of the land. That was not an inappropriate move. That was an appropriate move. He was not to presume on the Lord. He was to trust the Lord implicitly, but in that trust, he was also to use the resources that God had given him, his intellect, his wisdom, and and the military resources that God has has given him. So we should never presume, never presume uh, on on the fact that God will take care of every possible aspect in our life without using the gifts of God and talents that he has given us. It's interesting because if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, you see Jesus commenting on kind of an analogous situation. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, and this is where Satan uh, tempts Jesus. He takes him up to an exceedingly high place. Uh, Verse 5, Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down throw yourself off for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written. Do not put the Lord, your God to the test. Do not put your Lord, your God to the test. Do not presume. Do not presume on God. When God opens the doors. Yes. God is with you. God will protect you. God will open the doors, but God expects you to use the gifts God. And talents that he has given you, within his perfect will, and so I want to I want to begin this by 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 saying that 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 yes, uh, God had blessed it, God had anointed it, but it was important also that Joshua recognized that God had gifted him, and that's how God is. The other thing that we that this po- points out to me is the need to pray for wisdom. That's a prayer. That all of us should have on an ongoing basis. Pray for wisdom. Uh, This is important. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. How's that? Godly wisdom. Not street smarts, godly wisdom. Meaning, ask God to give you the perception of what his will is, and as he gives you the perception to what his will is, to give you the wisdom to know how you should step out with regard to that. Now, this just isn't about church affairs. This is in every aspect of your life. All right? And this starts with you drilling this into your grandchildren. I used to say children, but let's face it. (laughs) Those days are gone. We're talking grandchildren now. Your grandchildren. Meaning this. It's time to choose a wife. Someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Pick someone who you are equally yoked with. Equally yoked with. Meaning someone... Who shares your beliefs in God. Someone who will live a life that's that's dedicated to God. Someone that will look to ask God to open the doors and close the doors of your life. That's an important decision. Because if you wind up making the wrong decision in that first major step of life, a lot of things implode later on. Amen. You know all about it. We have guys here who have made that voyage. Uh, and they've made it several times. Okay? Several times. So, the point is, make it once, make it right. And then ask God to give you wisdom. And so there it is, not just, not just church affairs. And then I'm going to say, equally so with your business life. You ask God as you're in business, Lord, is this the business I should be in? Am I with the people I should be with? Am I partnered with the right people? Am I with people that are, have integrity, God? Or am I with people that don't have integrity? How can I, as a Christian, be with people that don't have integrity? You can't. Don't think you can. Don't think, well, I'll be a light. I'll bring them. Yeah, you'll bring them. You know. When people don't have God and they don't have integrity, that's, that's a dead-end street. That's a dead-end street. So the point of it is you, you need to ask God for wisdom, uh, and God will give you wisdom. I had a, a, a discussion with one of the brothers this week who had been deciding what to do with his professional life uh, and had been praying about it and felt that even though he had a chance to advance himself uh, and and that this person had become the top salesperson in this organization, the top, that that, uh, 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 he wasn't sure whether he should stay there or not. And I said, well, pray. Pray that God opens the doors. And pray that God closes the doors. And I say, furthermore, I think you need to pray that God slams the doors. And, the, and you know what? God did because he found out 24 hours before that even though he was going to be the top salesperson, he was going to be fired 24 hours ahead of time. He found out about it. And so he was able to, to terminate that relationship, which shows you, you see, that even when things in this world look like they're lined up to advance you, that they still are not going to advance you. And you need God to give you wisdom. It was clear God did not want this individual to be in that organization. He had better plans for him. I know I have the plans for you. You know what it says, great plans in Jeremiah. So you see the application of these verses. And so you see this as Joshua is beginning this, this uh, voyage into Cana, into the new land. And so now, now you see how he, how he did it, how he planned, how he asked God for wisdom. Um, and, and you see the, the result of that. Now I want to focus on Rahab concealing the spies, and I, and I want to discuss what that, what that means. Uh, and Rahab, Rahab becomes one of the great examples of faith, a faith warrior. And, and this is interesting because you need to understand this, that God is told Joshua that when he goes into Jericho, he is to wipe out every living thing. Every living thing, every man, woman, child, and animal will be wiped out. Whoa! I can't say anything better than whoa. All right. I don't understand it. All right. But whatever it is, God had determined that evil was encamped there. That they, that the people of God had to separate themselves from evil, and so everything would be wiped up and wiped out. Uh, and that was that was the decree. And so within that decree, in the streets of Jericho, as the spies are matriculating through those streets, Rahab sees them, and Rahab recognizes that they are not from that area. And Rahab uh, engages them and brings them into her house to protect them. Now, how does something like this take place? It takes place because God is involved I want you to understand this, that even in the most seemingly extreme circumstances, that God has his plan evolving. And we're going to talk about this, but Rahab will become one of the torches for faith. And Rahab will wind up being in the very genealogy of Jesus Christ. Wow, God, you can do that? Oh, God can do it. So when you talk about the fact that God is no respecter of persons, How much more do you want me to explain that? No respecter of persons. When I'm about to wipe out the entire city and one of them will be saved? Because that one recognized, recognized that these people were from God. Yes, brother. You know, there's no question about the power of God resonating here. And so, you you know, there are verses in which you see Rahab now being elevated as a woman of faith and what that means. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 31 says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. James 2 verse 25 says, And the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? Understand what these verses are saying, that Rahab had faith. She understood that these were the people of God. She remembered what God did 40 years before, opening up the Red Sea. And yet, even though she was a pagan, in a pagan culture, she saw and her heart recognized that she was lost, and these people served God. And so as she did that and had that faith, effectively, as I've explained it to you before, reaching out to God, not even knowing fully who God is, She's a pagan, but seeing these men, rec- recognizing that they were messengers from God, now she used the faith that God had given her, that element of faith, and now she stepped out and worked, did works combined with faith. Now you understand exactly how God expects salvation to work. It's not just mouth salvation, oh, yes, I know who God is. But the question now is stepping out in faith on that expression of faith and stepping out for God. And she did that by bringing the spies into her house and protecting it. And then in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, and it talks about the fact that the entire city, Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, and the city shall be under the ban. And that ban basically means uh, damnation. And all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. And so the other message here is you see how God protects the house. It wasn't just Rahab who was saved. But Rahab was able to bring into her circle her children. All right. Her her co-workers, her family, they were together in that house. And as long as they stayed in that house and had the scarlet cord in the window, and we're going to talk about that in depth, they would be saved. And that's exactly how you have to understand how salvation works. You see, it's not whatever you think is good. Do your own thing. Oh, yeah, I know it. I'm a good person. There's a thousand ways to God, a thousand ways to God. Why is it that every story we read, there's not a thousand ways to the ending? Have you noticed? Why is it that there's not a thousand ways to complete the story, but there's only one way? Well, that's what Rahab was told. One way. You stay in the house. You don't leave the house. You don't go out in the street and you put the scarlet cord in the window. How reminiscent of the Passover, right? How reminiscent where the blood of the lamb is put over the lentil and post and that the the, the angel, the angel of death would bypass it. And so you see it uh, and you see exactly how God works. This story resonates with me so much because this is an example of the last shall be first. All right. You want to see this? And what's so beautiful about this is Rahab would be the first Gentile believer. How do you like that? So, God starts effectively the Gentile church with person number one, and look who he chooses a harlot. You think God has a sense of humor? You understand? You understand the mercy of God? God does not care about your past. I want to reiterate that. God does not care about your past. And one of the things that I've recognized. Uh, as a guy who leads older men, uh, certainly guys in their 70s and guys in their 80s and I have guys here in their 90s that what I recognize is that that many of us all of us there's not one person here who has a past, who doesn't have a past that in some way they're not ashamed i don 't want to hear about it okay because you're saved God's forgiven you from the east to the West, it's forgotten. That's, the, that's what grace has done. So don't sit there wallowing in your past. If God could take a harlot and make her person number one for the new church as a Gentile, then think of the things that God can do for you. God doesn't care about your past. You're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have to understand what that means, because so many of us still, even though we're saved, are wallowing in that, oh, God, I know I shouldn't have, I should have. And God says, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. You're saved. Now step forward. What are you going to do today? Don't tell me what you did yesterday. I want to know what you're going to do today. And so you see it. Now, I received several inquiries from, from you guys about the fact that Rahab lied. We're going to talk about that. John, Rahab, she lied to the king. That's a sin. She committed a sin. What did God think of her committing a sin? Well, I think as I thought about this and prayed about it, it strikes me that to just say that Rahab lied is to have myopia because let's understand what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a state of war. This is a state of war. And we already understand from the writings in Romans that God has has designated that Christians have a responsibility to submit to their government when their government is acting in a lawful way. And that includes warfare and stepping out and protecting uh, the, the people in a state of war. God had declared war on these people. These people were going to be destroyed. Rahab had effectively conjoined herself with the people of God. When she brought those people into her home, she had now become an Israelite. She was now part of the family of God. And just as it was lawful for the spies to go out and and. Hide themselves from from the king. I believe that it was appropriate for her at that time to protect them, and if that protection meant deceiving the king, who would be destroyed, who would be effectively evil, that it was an appropriate act that what she did. And I'll give you some uh, examples to support that. Was it appropriate in World War II for people to hide uh, uh, Jews to keep them from being executed? Of course. You think God would say, you hit a Jew in your house and you see a soldier coming in, you say, hey, hey, come on in. You asked me whether I was hiding somebody. Yeah, I am. Here they are. There's three Jews hiding in the closet. I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie. Do you see the myopia? All right. That you have to understand, step back and look at the greater circumstances. When you are in a state of war, a state of war and evil is on one side and you are on the other side, opposing evil, God understands that there are exigencies. And what do you think about Bonhoeffer? What about Bonhoeffer, that godly man who had given his life to Jesus Christ in so many ways, recognizing that ultimately Adolf Hitler was evil incarnate, and that millions of Jews were being murdered because of his hand, and that Adolf Hitler had to be put down, and that Bonhoeffer became part of the conspiracy ...to kill Adolf Hitler. He was part of that conspiracy. Now, what did did Bonhoeffer say? Was Bonhoeffer happy with that, that, that he had to do that? Bonhoeffer said he understood that killing was wrong. He understood that murder was wrong. Yet he understood that he would put himself under the grace of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a perfect explanation. You understand? And so within the contingencies of life, we come across examples where sometimes uh, we need to reflect back and step back. So she did lie, but as she lied, I looked at it as part of being part of the people of God, attaching herself to the Jewish people. And, it's, and, and, and I'm going to say that if you read the commentators, many commentators will, will uh, indict her. But all I could say is this. If she were indicted, how could her name resonate so many times as a woman of faith throughout the Bible? If she were indicted, why would God say you will be in the genealogy of my son? Folks, this isn't me saying this. Look at the evidence of God. God elevated this woman. And so the question obviously becomes that God makes exceptions. He looks at the contingencies of life. He looks at what's going on. Uh, And I would say, you know, for us, the same is true, is true. Yes, it's wrong to lie. But if we are in a situation in which it's warfare and we are protecting godly people and God's purpose uh, from evil itself, then God understands the differentiation. So you see that God has made that clear. We've studied that. That's the issue of submission to God's will. Uh, being part of God's people. And so it's, it's interesting to understand this. Uh, I think it's too easy to become a legalist. Uh, and by that, I mean, oh, it's a lie. A lie is a lie. And so I would say to somebody, meaning, okay, you're in World War II. You're in World War II, and, and, and you have Jews in the back room of your house that you know are going to be slaughtered, and the German commandant comes into your house and says, are you holding Jews here? And you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're in the back room. I can't lie. Really. Thank you very much. You've just signed their death warrant. You're just as liable for their death as I am. You have to ask God for wisdom. You understand? You have to ask God for wisdom. And that's part of this of what, what, what this story is about. Um, and so I wanted to make certain that I, that I articulated that uh, in, in a reasonable fashion so that we understand that. Yes, Rahab lied, but but that lie was part of her being attached to the Jewish people, part of being attached to the government of God, part of being attached uh, as a shield against evil itself. And God understood that. God understood that. Now I want to talk about Rahab's declaration of faith. And that's in chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is in heaven above and on the earth below. This is a pagan woman. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Wow, what a conviction, huh? What a conviction. And so you see how faith is developed, even in the heart of a pagan, even in an extreme situation, you see that. First, we see Rahab's conviction. as She understands and underscores exactly who the people of God are. We know who you are. Our hearts are melting in fear. We are fearful of you. We know that God stands with you. We know what he did at the Red Sea. We saw that he wiped out your enemies. uh, And our courage has failed us. I recognize that your God is the God of the universe. (sighs) Folks, I want you to know something. That people are looking at your lives. People are watching how you live. They're watching how you speak. And they know there's something different about you. And here's what happens. Even though you may not be having these tremendous miracles of the Red Sea parting, or you see countries being devolved and and destroyed, people see that you're different. And you are effectively a poster for God and for Jesus Christ. And so what you need to understand is that as you are doing this, that people are watching And there are opportunities for you to speak out even in the most extreme situations. Who of us would say, oh, it's a pagan. It's a pagan. This person isn't going to be interested in God. And yet you see what's going on in that person's heart. And so God, God is moving even in the most extreme situations. And so we see her confidence and conviction in the fact of the Lord's power. Don't you see how God works? This is faith being given to her by God. He gives her just a little mustard seed of faith as she reaches out and recognizes I'm lost and you have God. And I want to be part of that. And so she talked about the sovereign power of God. Forty years earlier, God had opened the Red Sea. It must have been like yesterday. Imagine that. And I laugh, you know, I laugh when I hear these, these uh, uh, morons talking about the fact, well, he didn't really open the Red Sea. It was like a puddle of water. Uh, and, you know, it must have been a little earthquake. Uh, and, the, and it's a whole different thing. God couldn't possibly open the Red Sea. Folks, you want corollary evidence? Here's someone alive during that time who is in fear of these people. Why? Because God opened the Red Sea. That's proof. That's secondary evidence of someone who was alive at that time that knew the power of God. God opened the Red Sea. And not only that, he protected them and gave them the power against their enemies and destroyed their enemies. It was not the product of some quacky genius. It was the universal power of God himself. And so you see this. And so this reminds us of how our lives should not only be different, but that in our lives, which point to God as the reason our lives... Are different Through the things we do and say, like going to church, like having a concern for people who are lost, that you see that, that when you do that, your lives give people a reason for hope. And I said it last week that my father used to say this often. Every one of us, every one of us has to constantly preach about Jesus Christ and sometimes even use words. I want you to remember that and sometimes even use words. I want you to turn, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. Always be prepared. There's a reason that God's worked in your life, there's a reason that God has brought you to a state where you're conscious of your actions, there's a reason that God convicts you when you don't do the right thing. The reason is that God is using your life to be a a display of him. Just like Rahab saw what God was doing for the Jewish nation. And that resonated with her. And so God says to us, be prepared to give an explanation of what you have. And so I want to make sure that I, I articulate this as clearly as I can. That means this, that someday, somehow... Someone's going to say to you, there's something about you that's different. I can see that there's something about you that's different. You, you, you go through difficult times, and, and you are not floored. You're not in a state of depression. When I see other people that, that have hard times, I see how they act. When I see people get bad of, of of health, I see how they act, and I don't see that. What is it that you have? And don't go and start saying, well, I'm just lucky. You know, I've been lucky. I've got a good gene pool. You know, I've got a strong mind. Put your face in the dust. Really. Put your face in the dust and say, I owe it all to Jesus Christ. I owe it all to God. It's God. It's God in my life. Do you think it's easy for me to to go through these things? It's not easy for me. My first reaction is just like you. Oh God, how, how is this happening to me? How can I go through this persecution? How can I go through this suffering? How can I go through this malady? We all are the same way. Don't go thinking that oh John is different. Oh he he goes through these things and it's like it just rushes right off him like a bug off a windshield, please. You think so? You think so? Well I'm just like you. But here's the difference is that after that initial reaction and I and I lift myself up through the Holy Spirit to God. And he comes into my heart, and he gives me the confirmation and the peace to know I am with you. I will not abandon you. I am walking with you. I am here with you, even as you go through that. And that's what you need to convey to the world. You need to be prepared to say that. And you don't have to give some massive theological treatise, really. Don't think that you're, well, I have to memorize 15 verses. i got to take them down the Roman road i got to be able to have my treatises out in the trunk of the car. No, you don't have to do that. What did they do for Rahab? What theology books did they deliver to her? Do you see when God puts someone in your path who's ready to hear the word, even when you don't know it? Rahab the harlot. What What an incredible understanding in seeing this. And so you see as she recognizes that God, the Hebrew God, was the one and true God. And yet we see her confidence and conviction and understanding of the coming judgment on her people and her desire to be delivered from that judgment. That's what salvation is. The recognition that you are under condemnation. And she understood it. She understood it. She knew that her people were going to be destroyed. And only God himself... Could save her. And then you see the concern of the lost when they finally begin to understand this, the concern not only for herself, but for her own family. You see that. And she says it right here I want to have my brothers and my sisters. I want them to be saved. And to me, what this shows is this is God's number one plan for evangelism. It's not just a one on one situation, God is planning. To save an entire group of people through one person, uh, and what better, what better uh, example of that than the Samaritan woman at the well? What a powerful example was that! That here was, and by the way, again, you notice how God works. Here it is. Look at this woman. Well, they didn't even the disciples didn't even want to walk through Samaria, the most reviled group of people that you could find if you were a Jew, a Samaritan. If you came into uh, contact with a Samaritan, you basically almost burned your clothes if you were a Jew. Seriously, you would come back and ceremoniously wash yourself. And so here's this woman who, she's not Rahab the harlot, but I would say she's a close second. All right? She's a close second. At that time, it looked like she'd been married seven times before. And the woman, the person she was living now with was not her husband. And Jesus finds her. All right? Amen. For those of you who are thinking, oh, God, oh, how can this person come to Jesus? I've done too many bad things. God doesn't care. I can't say it more than that. He is not a respecter of persons. So here we have the Samaritan woman at the well coming into contact with the God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, uh, who speaks a few words into her life. He didn't give her a theological treatise. He didn't sit there and have a a day-long discussion of theology. He spoke into her life and told her she was lost and told her he would give her living water that would last forever. And what does she do? She goes back into town and what? Through that one woman, an entire town gets saved. You want to see the power of God to affect salvation on a broad basis, you see in the most simplest conduct and contact it all, you see how God works. More and more and more as I look at this, I see how God picks these most incredible examples to us of people who he saves. And these people wind up being the lighthouses for all of us. You know, you don't see some great rabbi teacher, Pharisee scribe, Levite, coming to Jesus Christ. You don't see it. You don't see it. Why? Because they thought they had everything that they needed. They didn't need God. They were full of themselves. They were full of the theology. They understood the Old Testament. They understood the law. They didn't need a savior. They didn't look at the fact that they were like whitewashed sepulchers. Yes, on the outside it was good, but inside it was corrupt. They didn't focus on their hearts. And you see, that's how God is. He convicts with the heart, and you understand that. And so you see Rahab, this this poor person, uh, caught in sin in a pagan state. And so you see how God reached out to her, just how God reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well. And that's how God is. And I want to say to you today that if you're here today the first time or even multiple times and you feel like you have not fully come to God, you have not fully made your peace with God, I want you to do it today. I'll stay here for as long as I have to afterwards, and I'll pray with you. And we can settle that once and for all. There's no magic. There's no set of theological discussions that you need to have. You don't have to have a lengthy discussion. I don't care where you go to church. I don't care where your background is. All I'm telling you is that God wants you to make him your own, his own today. And you can come to the cross of Jesus Christ today. We can do it in five minutes up here privately you and me i just feel in my heart that i have to say that i don't know why i'm saying this right now but i'm saying this i want to say it now don't leave here don't walk out this door without settling this once and for all don't let it happen because you're just in the same situation that Rahab is there's a judgment on us death is coming death is coming and it's going to come for us personally in each, each individual is going to see death first and who knows, whether, who knows whether the rapture is going to come tonight. I don't know this. Who knows whether Jesus is coming back tonight. It could happen. It could happen within an hour. But it could happen for you even earlier. So don't leave this place without settling this issue once and for all. I want to say, I want to make that clear that I'll do that. And there are brothers up here that will pray for you as well. You don't have to make a public spectacle. This is not about you having to talk about everything that went on in your life. That's between you and God. You don't see Rahab having a discussion here. Oh, you guys don't know how bad I've been. You say that? No. No. God's wiped that out. God's wiped that out. And so you you see this. And then I want to talk about the fact uh, of sometimes how we don't understand how God is moving out on our behalf. And we are sitting and quaking in fear, not recognizing that God has already taken care of it. And there's a great example of this here in this passage. Because you understand that the Jews refused to go into the promised land 40 years earlier when they had first come because they sent out 12 spies. And when the 12 spies came back, oh, here's what they heard. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, it's flowing with milk and honey and grapes the size of pomegranates. But, no, oh, there's giants there's giants. They're going to break our bones. They're going to devour us. We can't go there. I know God told us in faith to go there, but we can't go there. Really? Well, how about, how about what I'm seeing here is Rahab has just told you they're quaking in fear. They're sitting there in their houses shaking with fear because they know that the God of the universe is walking with you. And you do not recognize that God has done that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's the same in your life. You are God's chosen vehicle. God has has chosen you. You are saved, and God has determined that you're going to serve for him in this life. That means he's going to open doors for you. And so when you sit there in fear and say, oh, God, I don't know. Oh, my, my finances are bad. The stock portfolio has gone down. Oh, my God, what will next week do? Oh, oh, oh. Instead of saying, God, you have a plan for my life. You have a plan for my life. You're going to take care of me. I understand there's going to be hard days ahead, but you're going to take care of me. You're going to give me the peace of my life to know that you will not abandon me. Even if I have to walk into Jericho... Walk into Jericho, into an evil place. You will walk ahead of me. Can I get an amen? Amen. I want to drill that home to you today. And so even, even even when we go through dark times, difficult times, God is there. He's gone ahead of you. And he's prepared the ground. He's fertilized the ground. He's gotten them ready. These people were ready to give up. They're ready to give up. Uh, and, and yet you see that the Jewish people didn't fully trust in God. Uh, and, and this is what happens. We wind up being fearful. We wind up letting our fears and our anxieties rule the day and determine the actions for our life instead of saying, God, I'll trust you. I'll step out in faith with you. And so here it is. Somebody once said, whether it's the bite of a mosquito or the charge of a lion, we must learn to keep our eyes on the Lord and off the problem. That's pretty well said. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. By the way, you understand what that means? That means God has a whole army of angels surrounding us, being with us, walking with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Amen? Understand what that means. You are surrounded by the power of God. He has placed his angels around you. Even when you walk where you are going, when you are in his way, when you have given him your life, when you have submitted your life to him, he's there with you. He's walking ahead of you. Just like it was for the Jewish people as they're, about, as they're about to cross the Jordan River. Just as they're about to cross the Jordan River. And you see this great power of God on display where this woman, this woman, this pagan of pagans, this pagan of pagans engaged in this lowly, uh, terrible activity of prostitution who God says, you're the one. You're the one out of the entire city I'm going to save. And you're the one who will become the first Gentile believer of my church. And you're the one who will become an example of faith for all time that the Bible will talk about in multiple levels. And you're the one who will wind up being in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. That's God. That's God. He writes the story. No respecter of persons he is. Whether it was Rahab or the Samaritan woman at the well, God doesn't care about the past. He only cares about the future. That's the lesson for today. He only cares about the future. And you all have a great future, provided you continue to walk with him. Let's close in prayer and we'll continue. Next week we're off. We'll be back the following week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that we've heard. Lord, I ask you that they grow in our heart and they continue to resonate with us in every way. Bless these men, Lord. Protect them this week and continue to study the Bible. Lord, be with them as we are off next week and give them the ability to continue to study the word as we return in two weeks to continue the study of your word. Father, we put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.